May I encourage you to have a Bible open in front of you so you can follow along with tonight's scripture reading from Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, which you'll find on page 5 of the Pew Bibles. Genesis 3, starting at verse 1. Let us listen to God's word. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we read in your word, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Lord, we thank you that you listen and answer our prayers and pray that our intercessions this evening be good, acceptable, and pleasing to you. Lord God, we thank you that you are sovereign over the entire world and its earthly rulers, and that even in the darkest places, you are at work shining through. We pray for the persecuted church, for Christians living in some of the most difficult countries in the world. As the Winter Olympics get underway in South Korea, we pray for North Korea and give thanks that your church is growing there, with an estimated 300,000 Christians, despite tremendous persecution, with many being forced into horrific labor camps. We pray for the protection and provision of thousands of secret believers in that land, for comfort and strength for those who've been imprisoned for their faith, and that one day soon, the people of North Korea will be free to follow Jesus without fear. We pray likewise for Christians in Afghanistan, Somalia, Sudan, Pakistan, Eritrea, Libya, Iraq, Yemen, and Iran. May they have a real sense of your presence and protection this week, Lord. We pray for missionaries and Bible translators and support staff working across the world to spread the good news of Jesus Christ far and wide. Continue to equip and encourage them and guide them in all that they do so that many will be saved. We thank you for our daily bread and that you have placed us in a land that is rich and plentiful in so many ways. We pray for people who are hungry, thirsty, and without shelter tonight. Lord, please comfort and provide for them. Father, as you make the snowfall in Belfast, we give thanks for the rain you sent in Cape Town on Friday. The headlines reported that people rejoiced and thanked God for the rain after prolonged drought. May you continue to be glorified through your work in that land. 
We also pray for the Christians and the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl team who attributed all glory to you, God, after their victory in front of an audience of over 100 million people. Lord, may your Holy Spirit continue to work through these men as they share their faith in you and that many may hear the gospel as a result. We pray for our own leaders, for the Queen, the Prime Minister, Secretaries of State, MPs and MLAs and political party leaders. Guide them in their actions and decisions this week to make choices that are just and fair. We pray in particular for the possibility of a new deal at Stormont this week. Father, if this is your will, may it come to pass. In a week when the start of Lent and Valentine's Day coincide, we pray that amongst the chocolates, cards and roses, that the true love you showed us in sending your Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins would shine forth. Strengthen and guide those who are married to serve each other in a Christ-like way. For those engaged, may you guide the plans and preparations that lie ahead and build these couples up so that they may be godly husbands and wives to one another with you first and foremost at the center of the relationship. For those dating, Lord, give them a sense of direction for the relationship is going and keep them from temptation. May their minds and bodies be kept pure by the power of your Holy Spirit. For those of us who are single, may your Holy Spirit help us neither to put all our hopes into getting married nor being overly disappointed by not being so, by reminding us of the truth that Christ is the only spouse that will truly fulfill us. We pray for families, for new mums, for those that have had miscarriages, for expectant mums, for couples trying to conceive, and for couples who are unable to. Help us as a church family to support and love them all, and may you comfort, protect, and guide them according to your will. We give thanks for half-term and the opportunity for rest that this brings for teachers and leaders in our youth organizations. We pray that they will come back feeling renewed and refreshed next week with more energy and drive to advance Christ's kingdom and lead young people into personal relationships with you. Lord, we pray that you would have compassion on those who are ill and that you would heal them if it is your will. Comfort and sustain families facing difficulty and uncertain times ahead. We think also today of the family of the five-year-old boy who died after falling in a river near Balamina yesterday. For the families of the plane crash victims in Moscow earlier today and for all families in our own church who have lost loved ones recently. Lord, help us to have more empathy. Help us to mourn with those who mourn. Will you comfort them in their mourning and give them a real sense of your presence this coming week? We pray for the LGBT community that they may feel welcome and loved in your church, that they may know what Christ did for them, and that through knowing, them, them, through knowing him, they would seek to obey God's word and his will as it relates to marriage, gender, and sexuality. Father, in these difficult issues, let our conversations always be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that we may know how we ought to answer each person. We also give thanks for prison fellowship and for the work they do to support prisoners and their families. May it be revealed to the inmates that though their sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow if they look to the cross and trust in the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that many of us have friends that we can spend time with, and we pray that we would be better friends to one another. However, we also bring before you this evening the nine million people in the UK who are often or always lonely. And we pray especially for the area of East Belfast, which has been identified as one of the loneliest places in the UK. 
help encourage and equip us to reach out and spend meaningful time with those who live on their own or who feel trapped in lonely relationships. Comfort them and remind them that you, God, have promised never to leave us or forsake us and are always by our side. Thank you for the faithful friend we have in Jesus. We pray for our neighbours in the local community. Lord, what an encouragement it was to hear this morning about all the ministries that are happening in our area. We give thanks for all the faithful volunteers who help with Storehouse, the Arches Nursing Home, the Homework Clubs, Walkway Sundays, and the British Red Cross. We pray that this work would continue to grow and flourish, and where help is needed, that you would raise up faithful workers to assist. We also give thanks for the work of Caris, and pray that you would be with them as they meet this coming Saturday. Lord, remind us that we are all on mission as we step outside the doors tonight. May your, your Holy Spirit help us to be intentional and courageous in sharing our faith with others this week so that we may see our neighborhoods, communities, and workplaces transformed for your glory. Help us to love one another with a greater sense of purpose and depth to our relationships so that others may see Christ's love in us. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, Lord, and King. Amen. Well, thank you, Karen, and your team, and uh, David. Yeah, you didn't leave much out, David, and it warmed my heart. Turn, please, to Genesis chapter 3. And... Sam is on next week, God willing, and he told me this morning, I'm not sure if he was complaining, I, I don't think he was, that I had the shorter part of the chapter, just, what is it, seven verses, where he has, oh, uh, a lot more than that. And uh, he may find that I don't cover some things uh, that I look to him to cover uh, next week. Let us pray. Lord, give us the attitude of the child Samuel, instructed to say by his mentor, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And may we listen May we respond in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, my Bible uh, calls, uh, titles chapter 3, The Fall of Man. Uh, but the passage I have only gives us a bit of that. And when I read this passage... I immediately thought of something else. I thought of the temptations, not of the first Adam, but of the second Adam. For some reason, I thought of the temptations of Jesus. I think 
because uh, here God has created all things. The high point is the creation of human beings, man and woman, and then the, creating the family, drawing a picture in the last verse of chapter 2 about the perfect relationship which there was between man and woman. And the next thing is chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. Suddenly springs up this serpent. Where did he come from? We don't know. How did he exist and all that? Well, I'm not going to try and answer questions that Scripture doesn't try to. He appears, he uh, tempts, and I'm going to think tonight about temptation or testing or trial because the word means all these things. And as we think about it, if we're thinking of temptation, something merely in, in our heads or in our hearts, yet a moment's further reflection lets us know that these thoughts arise out of trials and testings we are experiencing. Karen opened the service tonight uh, referring to this and it, within her own personal experience of, of a friend. Tried, tested, and it's shaking his faith. And the first thing I want to say is this. Testing is part of human existence and is part of the Christian life. Testing, trial, temptation is part of human existence and part of Christian existence. I can still remember far back to my adolescence when I was younger than some of the people over here. Yes, once I was younger than you are, a long time ago. And being disturbed that I was having to grapple with new temptations, all to do with my hormones and all of that, that I'd never experienced before. And I thought, is there something wrong with me? And that's why I go to our Lord. The first three Gospels refer to his baptism. That baptism when after a period of preparation under his mother and stepfather in Nazareth, he goes to be baptized. The heavens open and the Lord Almighty affirms that he is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. 
St. Luke tells us that he was full of the Spirit. And then what do we read? The Spirit, some of them say drive, some of them say lead. Under the Spirit's influence, he goes into the desert and is what? Is tempted by the devil. Who was tempted? Our Lord. At the beginning of his ministry, he was tempted. And it wasn't the only time he was tempted. Luke tells us that after he resisted, Satan left him until an appropriate time. And as we read on in the story, Jesus has to address Peter at another high point when he said, whom do men think that I am? And they said, oh, some people think you're Elijah, some people think another prophet. Who do you think I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus began to tell them then how as Messiah he would have to suffer And Peter said, no, no, come over here, Jesus. Come on, just let me have a word. You're not suffering. You're not suffering. And what did Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. Peter wasn't the personification of Satan. No, no. But Satan was using Peter's advice, almost instructions to our Lord to tempt him. Another time when he was tempted, just before he was crucified. You remember the night he spent in the garden? When he said to the Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me, but not my will, but thine be done. And his struggle over this whole issue caused him in a chilly night around Easter time in Palestine caused him to sweat so much that it was just like drops of blood from his forehead. Our Lord was being tempted and in Luke's gospel, he, he tells us, uh, and the, the, other, the other two gospels don't mention this detail. He tells us that as he was going, you remember he took his disciples, some of them, and then left them while he went further on. Luke tells us, he said to them as he left them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. And then when he rejoined them, what did he say? Pray that you will not fall into temptation. Luke shows us how our Lord sets his own temptation in the midst of temptations of his disciples, showing them that they too have to resist, have not to yield. The nature of his temptations? Well, 
at baptism, he was being, if you like, commissioned for his task. And Satan came to him and said, well, that's what God wants you to do. But why don't you do it this way? Can you remember what the temptations were? What was temptation number one? Aha. Okay. To change bread. No, stones into bread. Not the other way around, Billy. No, no. To change stones into bread. You're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Well, how to get people around is free Big Macs. That's what you need. And that'll get them coming. And later on, he found precisely that when after he fed 5,000, they were all chasing him. Everybody was out for a free meal. Did he go down that route? No, he didn't. And the second and third uh, temptations are in different order in Matthew and in in Luke. Uh, I take the second one. Remember, he was taken up to the, the roof of the temple. And Satan used scripture and said, jump off. And what will happen? The scriptures will be fulfilled. fulfilled. The angels will come down and sweep you up. Wow! Won't that get crowds to follow you? And he quoted the scriptures uh, from the Psalms, if memory serves me right. Did Jesus do it that way? No, he didn't. And the third Satan said, look, the kingdoms of this world, they will become yours, but they'll become yours much more easily. They're under my control at the moment. Let me give them to you. And Jesus said, no way. No way. Our Lord was tempted as to how he would fulfill God's will. And temptations are a a testing for Christians sometimes to do things our way. And testing is the experience of everyone. Testing, trial. Point two. And uh, just if you're getting worried I wasn't going to do anything in this passage, we get to chapter 3 now, so you can relax. In chapters 1 and 2 in Genesis, we have two parallel stories of creation. They don't contradict. One gives us some details this way. The other one gives us some details uh, the other way. In, in, in chapter 1, we learn that uh, man, male and female, was made in God's image. In chapter 2, in the second story, we read of what we are made of, the dust of the earth, like every other living thing. We are made of the same stuff. And we're placed uh, to, in chapter 1, fill the earth and subdue it. And there was an old uh, clip from David Attenborough on the telly a couple of weeks ago, 
and he was referring to this, and this word subdue, uh, he was making out, he didn't go down, too far down the road, but that's what he was getting at, was that Christians have used the Old Testament to abuse the environment. Well, uh, maybe some have, like some of every other uh, group, but he was selective in his scriptural uh, choice because uh, we are also told in chapter 2, our first parents, to work it, this is when they were in Eden, and take care of it. Uh, Sir David, is he a knight? Well, or is he a lord? Well, whoever he is, uh, why don't you read the next chapter in Genesis, if you do, for your next telly? Uh, Woman was created from man from the same stuff and for the same purpose in chapter 2. And then at the end of chapter 2, we get uh, where the man says, uh, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. The same stuff exactly. And then the interesting connection with this affirmation to me is it goes straight into the family relationship. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife and they will become one flesh. The family unit is fundamental. Fundamental. It's being questioned now, but we have to continue to affirm that. And then you get this delightful uh, statement of the the perfect relationship. It's not how I would put it, but then I'm not the Lord. Uh, the, The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And you get another reference to this on down at the end of our passage, and we'll come to this later. Uh, One of the commentators talked about uh, the the serpent was shrewd and God's creation was nude. And I'm I'm afraid that has stuck in my head and I can't get it out. I would add a third, but it wasn't rude. Okay. And I hope that hasn't ruined this passage for you all. Okay, there was a childlike innocence. And at the moment, and it's not the only reason why I'm glad to be here, but three grandchildren are at home, and uh, it's delightful the way the fellas and the wee girl are on in the bath together, and there is no embarrassment. It is wonderful, unfortunately, we grow up. And that situation can't remain. But there we are. And my second point is this. Uh, Adam and Eve failed at the first hurdle. The first test that came to them, they failed. And I've just added 
and so do we. And so do we. And because we, in my passage, uh, we don't go on to the consequences of the fall, um, uh, and Sam is responsible for that. I, I'm, I'm moving more generally to what we can learn from this passage with regard to ourselves when we are tempted. And no one's going to deny that they're not tempted. Okay. The first thing to note in this passage is God set boundaries. God set boundaries. Why did he do that? Well, if there were no boundaries, there would have been no opportunity to choose to obey him or disobey him. If God hadn't set boundaries, then we wouldn't have been human beings. We would have been robots because there's no choice. But God has given us a choice. And the sadness of it all is that we all have chosen the wrong path. But there is grace. More of that later. And so Satan comes and said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And she bristled. And she replied, the woman said to the servant, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. Well, now, here in her bristly response, she's actually adding to what God said, because earlier we, in chapter 2, God didn't say you must not touch it, but she's uh, adding to the prohibition. And then Satan says, come on, you, you won't die. You won't die. For God knows, verse 3, when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And th that's a half-truth. Because when you look later, in this chapter, in verse uh, 22, the Lord God said, this is after the fall, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach with from his hand, etc. So God banished him. Satan works with half-truths. And we have to be aware of that when he tempts us. When he tempts us. God sets boundaries. 
and we mustn't cross them. We mustn't cross them. I've never done it, but sometimes I feel a bit like, what do you call Father Ted's sidekick? Dougal, Father Dougal. And he's told he mustn't do something, and you see him looking at it, and you know what's going on in his head, and eventually he does it, and it's a catastrophe. Well, I've never... uh, You know, modern cars have a a rev counter as well as a a speedometer. And the the rev counter has a red... Uh, section at the end where it says if you do more than 6,000 revs or something, your engine will blow up. Now, has anybody ever tried it? (laughs) No, I haven't either. But I would just sometimes I think, wouldn't it? And then, anyway, there we go. Father Dougal, uh, there's a little bit of Father Dougal in us all, I suspect. God sets boundaries. But note in this uh, passage, Satan sets boundaries too. Those of you who were here last uh, Sunday night, uh, when Drew gave us, uh, I always find Drew, he stretches me, and that's very good. He gave us a, a, I think he called it a pragmatic sermon. That was a new one on me, but there we are. And he talked about how in the uh, same-sex marriage debate, it, uh, the, the media and every, everybody you hear, basically, talk about it as an equality issue. It's equal marriage. And he said, no, no, we, we mustn't let uh, the, the society dictate the terms of our discussion. Now, I I don't have time to go into that, and I don't have the brains of Drew if I ever did. Uh, But but I I, I want us to note this. Note in Satan's discussion with Eve, he refers to the Almighty, and she follows him using the word God. What's remarkable about that? Well, If you look at the rest of chapter 2 and chapter 3 from verse 8 on, how is God referred? Well, I I did my sums and I counted. In chapter 2, God is referred 11 times and all of them he's called the Lord God. And then the conversation between Uh, Satan the serpent and uh, Eve he's referred to as God and then after uh, verse 8 in chapter 3 the Almighty is referred to seven times and again all of them he's the Lord God what has the serpent done In this, the first theological discussion that there ever was and is recorded in the Bible, the serpent has said, let us think of God theoretically 
and let us take him out of the Lord God? What's significant about that? That is Jehovah God, the Lord, the one who has made a covenant with us, the one who longs to have a personal relationship with us. Satan has said, no, no, let's make God an object that we can examine and discuss. When, of course, we can't do that really because we're in a relationship with the Lord God, with his wonderful covenant of grace and mercy and the amazing mind-blowing sacrifice of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Oh, in some theological discussions, things have to be focused and so on and redefined, but we must recognize that that is just for that particular discussion and mustn't be allowed to dominate things. I hope that's not too heavy, but I, 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 I felt that was a significant thing which had never come across before. Okay, let's keep moving. Yeah. The next thing to note is temptation came through the eyes. Temptation came through the eyes. Verse 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. And I think it's true today that temptation, while it can come through other senses, but mainly comes through the eyes. The basis of pornography, which is a problem to so many men, is through the eyes. How much advertising to men is done, even in the most respectable journals, through images of women through the eyes. And women, well, why on earth do you want a window shop? Because it's just nice. And temptation comes through the eyes. And I admit that I have a car magazine that I surreptitiously look at from time to time. And I dream. But that's it. Now, if temptation comes through the eyes, we, of course, are, are given the strongest warnings against being a stumbling block to one weaker in the faith, younger in life, whatever. 
we mustn't be a stumbling block. Better said Jesus, to have a millstone round your neck and thrown into the depths of the ocean than be a stumbling block to one of these little ones. That means we have to be careful what we show. And that can be interpreted in all kinds of ways, and I I, I don't want to go down there. But (coughs) she fell, and her eyes were opened, and then what do we see? The second nude bit. Uh, Then the eyes of both of them were opened. Uh, Yeah, Adam, he's, uh, he's dozing through all of this. He doesn't really appear. He's there, but uh, he's not a very strong man, dare I say it. Because what do we read? Uh, She takes it, and uh, she gives him, and he ate it. She gave, also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And he was as guilty as she was. Later tradition has woman, all women, the seductress who leads astray the weak man. Well, most of it is absolute baloney. And there's no suggestion in the scriptures that Eve was a seductress. Adam was as guilty as she was And indeed, the judgment focuses more on him than on her. They are equally guilty. Okay. And then we would move on into the the next verses, which deal with the consequences. And uh, Sam, I'm I'm leaving you uh, to do that. Okay. Now, where are we going? I'm getting a bit messed up in my notes. Okay, Uh, I want to move to my third part, and this will be much uh, briefer. And this is to say, in the New Testament, temptation and testing is a positive thing. It's a positive thing. At last I've found it. Uh, we have Bible studies, our home groups, and we have some other Bible studies as well. And one of the members of one of these other groups uh, came to me, well, he was talking to me last week in church, and he said, you know what we were studying last Monday night? And of course I didn't. And he said, James chapter 1. I said, oh yes, trying to appear intelligent and knowledgeable, And he says, it tells us there, consider it pure joy when you face trials, testings, temptations of every kind. He said, we didn't get it past verse 2 of chapter 1 in our passage. Consider it pure joy. 
Now, does that blow your mind? We were praying for people and we were referring to people uh, who are having it difficult at the moment. And would we say to them, consider it pure joy when the Lord is testing you? But that's what the scripture says. Um, the, the message uh, quotes this passage using this, these words. Consider it a sheer gift when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. What is James saying? Testing, trial, temptation is good because it will lead to Christian maturity. And that, as we read on, in uh, Paul tells us, it, Colossians 1 and 28, is the purpose of his preaching. What is it? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Frank this morning was dealing with aspects of Christian maturity. And he was very careful to say, this, we're not there yet, but this is a path we should be going along. When you're being tested, whatever the testing is, a health scare, difficulty in the family, uh, maybe the job isn't going the way, whatever the testing is, have you found, as I have, that it, it causes you to reassess your priorities, to, to question whether your focus is in the right place? I have even willingly and without giving, uh, Ruth giving off, although she has done a few years back, I have begun to wait for it, start giving away my library. Now, for somebody like me, collecting theological books that reached about 6,000 over 60 years, that's something. But the Lord said, Billy, it's time you got wise. You're not going to be using this technical stuff. Give it to somebody who can. And I am stunned that I am getting satisfaction out of it. I told Ruth two weeks ago, do you realize I have given five foot of bookcase, you know, June, 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 away? And she wasn't really terrible. She didn't say congratulations or anything. <laughs> but <coughs> testing leads to a refocus, and through it, God is trying to lead us to maturity. In 1 Peter, we read uh, that testing leads to purity and genuineness. You may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials, 
Why did they come along? That your faith may be tested genuine. Genuine. And if, as we go on in 1 Peter, and I'm ending with this, testing is to bring glory to Christ. 1 Peter 7 continues, and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Uh, I didn't choose, I might have, but I was pleased with Karen's uh, choice of praise and I didn't know precisely what route I was going down, but in fact it was more appropriate than uh, I could have imagined. I was going to suggest yield not to temptation, but some of you have never heard of that one. But it's a good one, even though it is an oldie. But uh, here we see that, what? Testing is part of human existence and part of the Christian life And if you're being tried and tested, it's not because you're a poor Christian. Our first parents fail. But how they fail can teach us positive things. And we, difficult though it may be, must look when we are tested, we must say, Lord, what are you teaching me? What are you telling me? Help me to be more mature spiritually through it all. That's what I'm pondering. And I trust that the Lord will lead you to ponder it too. And together we say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.